Father, we love, we love, we love this thing that you have designed for us, this opening up our hearts and our minds to you and, and singing to you, singing about you, directing our attention and our affection to you. We love, we love the way that you've designed that because it makes much of you and it seems right for us. It's right to give you glory. It's right to give you attention. just correct to do it. It feels like this is how you have intended our life to be, how you've designed it to be. And so we say thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for living inside of us who believe in you. Thank you for your great and marvelous promises to us. say we love you. We thank you. And again, we want to hear from you tonight. And so um, as we've prayed several times already tonight, maybe you pray again, just ask God to speak to you tonight. Just where you are, where you sit, where you stand. Just say, God, would you speak to me? Pray the same thing for somebody that you came with or somebody that you're standing or sitting next to. Pray that God would speak to them tonight. And then God, we all ask humbly that you would speak through me, that you would speak to each of us. It would be true and clear tonight. We say thank you. We love you. Use this time, we pray in Jesus' name. I want you to hear me real quick. Do you know why? Do you know why that feels so right when we do that? That's because God has designed our lives with a throne in the middle of it. Every life has a throne in the middle of it, and it is designed that way by your Creator. And it feels right when God is sitting on that throne. Because that's the way he's designed it. For those of you who may not feel right, who feel attracted to this, but you're still, wherever you're sitting, you're sitting on the outside, maybe it's because God is not on that throne. Every life is designed with a throne in the middle of it. I tell you, when I first started to see this kind of play out in, with me, I was with a friend of Jerome's named Louie and a friend of mine named Chris and some other folks in uh, Africa, and we were on a stage like this in an old abandoned schoolhouse in the southern part of Africa, and we were leading worship and speaking, and my friend Louis was talking, and I was sitting on the front row. I still remember like it was yesterday, and uh, um, our friend over here was translating into Setswana, and he was doing a great job, and all of a sudden, a hush came over the crowd. Translator stopped right in the middle of his sentence. Everybody stood up and started chanting words that I didn't understand. And a guy in a three-piece suit walked from the back all the way to the front row. And everybody's eyes were on him. And I started asking, what is going on? Who is this person? And they started telling me, this is the chief of the village. Okay? We were in the middle of worship. And the chief of the village that we're all staying at, hundreds of us, some of them had walked 
for days to be at this conference. Some of them had bought bus tickets from the other side of the country to be at this conference to worship and to teach with us. And the chief of the local village comes in and everybody stops and he stood, stands up on stage, just walks right up. He's very polite about it, but he walks right up, grabs the microphone and just wants to take a moment to welcome everybody to his village. Thank you so much for being here. We love having you. This is our village. I'm the chief and we take good care of it and we love having you here. Thank you so much. And he steps down and walks back and sits on the front row for a little while. Meanwhile, the translator, his name was Jack, he gets the microphone back and this is what he says first in Setswana and causes everybody a hush, causes everybody to breathe in in the room. He says it in Setswana and I have to ask what it meant in English and somebody told me what he did when he grabbed the mic back from the chief of the village as he was walking down he said okay now let's get back to worshiping the chief of chiefs and everybody said whoa you see every life is designed with a throne right in the middle and we're going to see in our text tonight the person who is designed to sit on that throne, okay? And this is marvelous, okay? And so we are in the book of Revelation. We are all week trying to remember the future, right? Can you say that with me? Remember the future. That's what we're here about because God has already written the end of the story and we've been through it. If you've been here seven years, like several of you, if you've been six or five or four, this year first. This is what we do at Camp Tallowood. We go through the scriptures and we share the whole story. And this is the end of the story. And it is marvelous. It's beautiful. And so we are in the book called Revelation. It's a revelation of God given to his son Jesus who gave it to uh, an angel who gave it to John who was supposed to give it to seven churches and they passed it on to us, okay? And so um, it's well used. And we're in Revelation chapter 4 first couple of verses of Revelation chapter 4. Um, absolutely beautiful. Look at this passage. It'll be up on your screen if you don't have your Bible. Revelation chapter 4, first two verses. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, I was standing, uh, excuse me, a throne was standing in heaven and one was sitting on the throne. You see, this is what John saw. Remember what I told you is that he is most likely on the island of Patmos. He's been imprisoned in there. It's a small island in the middle of the Aegean Sea off of Turkey and Greece. And he is there because of his ministry and for the gospel. And God gives him this vision and sort of plucks him up into heaven and says, I'm going to show you some really amazing things. Here's a notebook. I want you to take some notes because I want you to write this down and pass it on. And he said, thank you very much. I have no idea what I'm looking at. I'll do it my best. And he says, I saw, I heard a voice who said, come up here and I'll show you what, make, what must take place after these things. These are things that are going to happen in the future. And he said, the first thing I saw was a throne. You see that heaven is designed with a throne in the middle of it. And those of us who believe and who have put our faith in what Jesus has done for us 
and He has forgiven our sins, and we are called Christians because of that, and the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, that's where we're headed. And that's what our life is supposed to look like. Our life is supposed to be centered around a throne, and there's supposed to be one individual sitting on the throne. And so he said, I saw one sitting on the throne. Who do you think it is? Well, it's the guy that we talked about last night, right? It's the guy with a robe all the way down to his feet, golden sash across his chest. His eyes are burning. His hair is white like wool. His feet are like metal that's been heated in a furnace, and his face shines like the sun. It's Jesus Christ in all of his glory. It's amazing. And so he begins to describe this scene, and he's writing it down, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. He said, this throne is amazing. It looks like it's made out of precious stones and all sorts of things are happening, and he's trying to write it down, and he's doing his best, and we're going to jump to verse 6. We're going to jump to verse 6 here, and this is what he says. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass. You see, he's saying, he's saying, there's this thing that I don't know what it is. It, it, it's something like a big sea as far as I can see, but it's, it's as still as possible. It's like a sheet of glass. He says it's something like it because I don't know what it is. It's something like a sheet of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Very strange, okay? The first creature was like a lion. The second creature like a calf. The third creature had the face that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around and within, and day and night, they do not cease to say this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, 24 elders who are sitting in 24 other thrones around him fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying this, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Let's go back to verse 7, if you could, Gary. He says, I see in this throne something really, really crazy. I see these four living creatures. And I know you're all wondering, what in the world is that about? One of them looks like an eagle, one of them looks like a man, one of them looks like a calf, one of them looks like a lion. They got these weird eyeballs all around them, and they got six wings, and they're flying, and they're singing. They're singing one song, and then these men that are sitting around the throne with Jesus on it are singing a second song, song number two. Four creatures, two songs, 24 other thrones, and one big guy right in the center. What on earth is all of this about? Let me, let me share it with you very, very quickly. What are these creatures? The first was a lion, second a, la- a calf, face of a man. The fourth one was one of an eagle. I think this is what this represents, which is a beautiful way of understanding it, I think. I think God is saying here that around the throne, all of creation is worshiping God. Now think about that. You have a lion wild animals, the king of wild animals, the 
calf, maybe the chief, the most important domesticated animal, right? The flying eagle, the fourth one, all of the birds of the air, and then man representing humankind. Every class of creature that God has created is around the throne worshiping him. You see, everything is included. Wild animals, tame animals, animals in the air, and human beings, man and woman. Everything is around the throne. And what are they singing in the next verse? Verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Day and night, they do not cease saying these things. Because life is designed with a throne in the middle of it. And I tell you this, it only makes sense when Jesus Christ is sitting on that throne. Because he's the one who designed it. He's the one who's created you. He's the one sitting on the throne in the end. He's the one that wants to sit on your throne now until that is reality, when sin is done away with, when Satan is locked in a deep, dark hole, never to come out again, when death is killed, Jesus will be on the throne. He says, until then, until I make all things right, until I come back, yes, the serpent killed me, but I'm going to come back and kill the serpent. And until then, I still want to be on the throne in your life. And that means a lot of different things. That means that some of us, um, since last year at camp, we've been trying to live on what happened last time when the stage was on the other end, right? And when we did acquire the tire last time and when I had this friend who came last time and when um, the speaker did that last time and when we did that last time and I went home and I just kind of floated around for a week and everything seemed perfect until it didn't anymore and my life went back in and I seem to have acquired all of this mud and muck on my heart and my shoulders and my mind are weighed down with this thing. I have no idea how it happened. Maybe it's my friends. Maybe it's my habits. Maybe it's the fact that I don't ever spend time with Jesus outside of these sort of moments and I feel like I have a year's worth of junk on me and I can't understand it. Some of you have fallen into these wrong ways of acting, wrong ways of thinking. You've gotten into this idea that I have to approve and be approved by these certain people. So I tend to play the role that they want me to play. And that's led me down this path that I don't like. And I don't like the person that I am. Some of you cry yourself to sleep at night still when nobody's looking because you feel like the loneliest person on the planet. And you think, God loves me? I don't feel that. Nobody loves me. Maybe you think your parents don't love you. You have friends, but they're all about a mile away, and they're all about an inch deep, and you are all alone. It's all up to you. No matter where you've come from, no matter what you're bringing to camp, maybe you have lots of arguments, maybe you have lots of wounds, maybe you have so many knives in your back, 
from your friends and from Christians, from people who went to church, from pastors or worship leaders or youth leaders or whoever, that you can't get them all out and they're still bleeding, that you don't want anything really to do with this thing. Some of you are chasing after God with everything you got and you feel like you're on a treadmill. You feel like you never ever take a step feel like you're doing everything right. They tell me to do A plus B, and I do A plus B, and I do it over and over and over again, and I never get anywhere with him. I don't feel any closer to him. I don't feel like he knows me any better. To tell you, no matter where you are tonight, that Jesus Christ created everything. He created you. He designed you perfectly and designed you with a throne in the center of your life. And when he is seated on that throne, that is the only time when life will make sense to you. It will not be perfect. It will not be pretty all the time. It will not be painless. It will not always be fun. But that is the only place, that is the only time, that is the only situation when life can ever make sense. And the problem that we have, myself included, is we try to shove everything else on that throne that we can. Everything else. We're trying everything out. Whereas the story in the end says, hey, I saw what things are about to come. And what did I see but a throne? And there's only one person sitting on that throne. And he is so good that these strange creatures representing every creature are saying how good he is night and day without ever stopping. Without ever stopping. I keep trying to tell you how big this Jesus is. Can I take you on a bit of a tour again? Yes, okay, good. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit back for just a few minutes. I just want you to relax. I want you to listen. I'm gonna show you some pictures. I'm going to tell you some stories. If you're quiet and you watch and listen, and I, here's, what I, here's what I hope that you do. I want you to think. I'm not going to give you math. I, I fouled all that up last night. I was trying to do really big multiplication on the fly, and that's not good, all right? So no math tonight, okay? A um, couple numbers, but no math. I want you to sit back and look at some pictures that I think are pretty amazing. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go... Wow. I want you to say in your heart and in your mind, God is big. And he's bigger than I thought, okay? This first picture, I told you, I promised, this is the sombrero galaxy. Did I tell you that it looked like a sombrero? That's what it's called. Um, The sombrero galaxy is a very, very long way away. It's 29 million light years away. It's in the Virgo constellation. If you have just a rudimentary telescope that you buy at Academy and you know where to look, you can see this guy. This is one of the biggest galaxies that we've discovered. Right in the middle is a supermassive black hole and it is a giant of a galaxy. Dwarfs our Milky Way galaxy, okay? The Sombrero galaxy. The next one This is a planetary nebula called the um, Crab Nebula, or at least that's what we thought it was in the beginning. What we really have become to 
determined that this is 6,500 light years away, a lot closer than the Sombrero Galaxy. But uh, the Arabs and the uh, Chinese all said that in the year 1054, a star in the Taurus constellation exploded in a supernova. This is what's left over. This happened almost a thousand years ago. And this is the remnants of a star that has exploded. The Crab Nebula. This next one is one of my favorites. I'm going to show you this in sequence, but let me tell you what it is. That red star in the middle is a very, very massive star. It's a, a, a red star. Our, our star um, in our solar system is, is a G2V variable sequence star. That doesn't mean anything to you, but it just means that that's the kind of light that it gives us. And it's a rather small star on the scale of stars. This is called Monocerotus. And if you put that red star in the place of our sun, then the edge of it would be out to almost past our orbit, the orbit of Earth. Do you understand? That's a really, really big star, okay? Canis Majoris that we saw last night, the biggest star we've ever, that, if that were in the place of our sun, it would go out past the orbit of Jupiter. This is Monocerotus. It's in the constellation Monoceros, and it's a supermassive red star. And what happened in 2002, we caught it on camera, was it had kind of a conniption fit, okay? We first thought it was exploding in a supernova, but we realized that it really didn't because it remains at the end. What I'm about to show you is a sequence of six pictures taken from, taken from May 2002 to October 2004, and this supermassive red star, Monocerotus, having a conniption fit, okay? Are you ready? We'll go to image number two, go to image number three, Image number four, and number five, and number six. We caught this on camera. Monoceros, it's still right there in the middle. It's a bunch brighter than it was in the beginning, but it just blew off all this stuff that had a fit right in front of us. Monocerotus. I want to show you some guys. These three guys up here... Um, are some heroes of mine. That is uh, the astronauts Lovell, Anders, and Borman. They are the crew of Apollo 8, and they blasted off on December 21st, 1968. And Apollo 8, if you know anything about the Apollo program, Apollo 8 was the first one to leave the orbit of Earth. That's very important, do you understand? Because up until 1968, the only pictures that we've ever had of Earth were from as high as we could get in the orbit of Earth. Do you understand? So we took pictures of Earth and we drew the Earth and we had a globe, but nobody had ever seen it from a distance. Does that make sense? In 1968, that's kind of crazy. That's not very long ago. And so here is Jim Lovell, who was also on Apollo 13, right? He was on the ground in the works of that. Anders and Borman on Apollo 8, they're the first ones to leave the orbit of Earth. And what I'm about to show you is the first image ever taken of planet Earth from outside the orbit of Earth. Are you excited? This is what it looked like. 
It's not all that exciting for us now, but think about what that meant in 1968. The first time anybody had ever seen Earth outside of its orbit. Apollo 8 rocketed to the moon, went around the dark side of the moon. You know that the moon revolves around Earth and it's locked in what we call geocentric orbit, which means that we always see the same face of the moon. We've never seen the dark side. That's where the transformers landed, okay? And so the um, this moon goes around like this, and Apollo 8 went around the back side, the dark side of the moon, and when they came around the other side, they saw for the very first time what has been called the earth rise. The earth rise image is this classic image as Apollo 8 came rocketing around the backside of the moon instead of the moon rising on our horizon or the sun rising in the morning on the horizon of earth we have the horizon of the moon and the earth rising it's the very very first image we've ever seen of that okay this is in 1968 in 1977 we threw this guy up into space this is called Voyager 1. And Voyager 1 has the great task of being thrown out so fast that it will never, ever come back. Right now, it is more than 4 billion miles away from Earth. Okay? So in 1977, it sent it rocketing out of our solar system to take pictures of the other planets and make its way all the way eventually out past Pluto, um, or the um, asteroid or comet formerly known as Pluto. Um, and so it's being sent out. And in 1990, um, this big wig who had a lot of clout and a lot of money, he said, hey, uh, it goes to the guys who are still on the joysticks of, uh, of Voyager 1. He says, what I'd like you to do is as it's rocketing outward, it's at this point 3.7 billion miles away from Earth. He said, I want you to spin it around and I want you to have it take a picture. And so 3.7 billion miles away from Earth, Voyager 1 spun around and took this picture, okay? It took almost a quarter of a day to send these images back, but this white thing over on the right is the sun. It, it's actually much, much smaller, but in the optics of the camera lens, that's what it looks like. And you see these two boxes over on the, on the, on the left side. These are boxes where... We are to zoom in. The box on the lower right is zooming in on the planet Venus. The box on the upper left is this image. And caught in a ray of the optics of the camera is a tiny little blue dot. You see it? That's us. That's Earth. On the original image, if it wasn't on a projection screen, you could see a tinier blue dot right next to it or a white dot right next to it that is the moon from 3.7 billion miles away a tiny little blue dot all of human history good and evil since the beginning of time God has created happened on that little dot what I'd like you to see is something very very interesting the idea that where we are is so very small compared to the absolute magnitude of the universe that God has created. You got that? 
my friend would say and write, I'm not trying to make you feel small. I'm trying to help you realize that you are, okay? Let me ask you a question. Now, this is a question, again, I don't want you to answer out loud. Do you know the person Job in the Bible? Um, this is a person that is one of my favorite characters, and I say that not in jest, not with a smirk on my face, because um, I, I love this man. This is the greatest guy on the planet. Do you understand? That's why God noticed him. That's why Satan noticed him, because he was the greatest man on earth. Satan came to God and said, there is nobody greater than Job. That's a pretty cool thing. There's nobody closer to God. There's nobody more righteous and more just and more generous and more gracious on the earth than Job. And you know what happens. God allows him to be tested and he loses everything. He loses every dime to his name and his seven sons and three daughters. And then he loses his health. And he begins to interact with God and his friends show up, Larry Mur Curley and Moe, and they do a lot of help to him. And he begins to interact with God and really be troubled. And his idea in the end is, God, this is unfair. This is unfair. You're supposed to love me. Do you know what God's answer is? Do you know how God responded to Job? He took him on a tour of the earth he took him on a tour of the earth and he said look over here job you see this i created that i take really good care of it look over here you see that that's called leviathan he's talking about something big and nasty and i don't know what it is he said try to pet it you'll remember that you shouldn't okay he says have you ever tried to rope one of these guys i've done it where do you keep your hail that you rain out of heaven. Job, I don't know where you keep it, but I have storehouses full of that stuff. I send my lightning where I want to, and I take care of the eggs in the nest of the eagle. I take really good care of the earth. You see, the contrast in what I'm trying to show you with this little picture and the truth of the scripture is that we are tiny in the magnitude of the universe that God has created, but we're the most important. We are the most important. Do you know that that little blue dot is the only place that we've discovered life? Reality is not like Star Trek, okay? When we send out a, a space probe and in speed of light or whatever, we don't find life everywhere we look in the universe, despite what the scientists tell us, and we're looking for it. We found planets like Earth, rocky planets revolving around the sun we found a bunch of them and they never have anything on them they never have any water on them they never have an atmosphere they never have anything that is required for life it sure seems like the further we go and the more that we discover the more beautiful life becomes right here on our earth you know that in our solar system we're in what I call the Goldilocks zone. You remember Goldilocks? Her porridge is not too hot. It was not too cold. It was just, just right, right? We're not too close to the sun because the heat burns off all of the water. Venus and Mercury don't have any water. We're not far enough from the sun where all of our water would be ice, like some of the moons of Jupiter. We're right 
in the middle where we have liquid water. We're the only planet we have ever found with liquid water. We also have really good neighbors. In 1996, a massive asteroid was headed to Earth. Did you know that? This was a planet killer. It was big. But because we have really good neighbors um, that are really, really large, like Jupiter and Saturn, and they have a great gravitational pull, Jupiter sucked it up. And it exploded in the bottom of Jupiter, and we watched it hit, and we took pictures. Okay? That has happened countless times over history. We have really, really good neighbors. We're not only in the right spot in our solar system, we're in the right spot in the Milky Way galaxy. You know, if we are further in to the middle of the Milky Way galaxy, the radiation would be so rough there that no life could exist. If we're too far out, there's no heavy elements to even make a planet our size. We're right in the right spot. We're not in the Sagittarius arm or the Perseus arm of the Milky Way, but we're right in between where it's nice and safe and clean so we can look up and we can look down and we can explore the whole rest of our universe. If we were anywhere else, we wouldn't exist and we wouldn't be able to see anything. We're the only planet that has an atmosphere that's next to a sun that produces just the right kind of light that plants use for food and the human eyes and animal eyes can see. You know that we wouldn't have life on the planet without volcanoes? Because volcanoes are a massive part of the carbon cycle that replace carbon dioxide, and we need that to live. And we have a plate tectonics that are happening on our... We have a, a, a molten core. Am I boring you to death yet? Because I really get uh, involved in this. I like this. We have a molten core that makes an electromagnetic field that takes all of the junk that the sun sends us and sends it around the backside. And we get what we call aurora borealis and aurora australis as a beautiful little reminder that God is protecting us from all of the deadly stuff in the universe. You see, we are tiny. We're a tiny little blue speck in this great magnitude of an earth. And yet we're so important. Can I show you some more pictures? <laughs> We're the only place that has life. I, I'll take you down to the simplest form of life that I know of, and that's a single-celled organism. This is a bacteria. It, it's got a tail, okay? And do you know what happens at this tail when it attaches to that single-cell organism? What we've discovered on that tail is an outboard motor, a piston rotor engine that goes 100,000 RPMs in this direction, 100,000 RPMs, it's water-cooled, it's all made out of protein. It's water-cooled, 100,000 RPMs, it can stop in a quarter turn and go 100,000 RPMs in the other direction with a clutch. This is a single-celled organism. The more we determine and discover about how we can zoom in on things, the more the very simplest forms of life on earth become more and more complex. We have no idea how that motor happens. That motor on the tail, on the end of that single-celled bacteria, is the most fascinating mechanism in the universe. It's on a bacteria. Okay? This next image is a horsefly. I just love that image. It looks like he has got 
goggles on. It's so cool, okay? Um, you know something about the horsefly eyes. What I want to tell you about is this next one. This is uh, a brown jumping spider. You know that our eyes are pretty cool. There's nothing like the human eye um, that we can see and detect things. The brown jumping spider has four. Each of these four eyes are like telephoto lenses on a camera that don't just see the light that we see, they can also see ultraviolet light, okay? They can see every color that we can see and more. They can detect movement and heat. These eyes are by far the most complex eyes on any animal on earth. The brown jumping spider, right? This next image, a stag beetle worshiping. Isn't that great? I love that. Stag beetle are called stag because they fight with these big mandibles, and I just love that picture. Um, this next one, we talked about this guy in our text, the leader of the wild animals, right? You know, the, the, they say that if you go on safari in Africa and you happen to be in a place where uh, a lion roars in the wild, that that sound can travel for up to like 20 miles. And when I was there with some friends, my leader, the safari leader, and I believe him, I don't think he was trying to impress me, because uh, we saw some lions, they were just sleeping, it was kind of boring. Uh, but he said, when a lion roars, um, it has been known to cause adults to lose their liquid, if you know what I mean, okay? That's quite an impressive sound, traveling for 20 miles. I'll show you my favorite animal. My favorite animal is this next one. This is the largest animal to ever live on planet Earth, a blue whale. Do you know that the tail of a blue whale, the span of its tail is as big as a Cessna airplane? Did you know that the heart of a blue whale is the size of a cow? Did you know that some of the sixth grade girls in here could swim through some of its veins and arteries? If you wanted, if you wanted to, I'm just saying. It's a big animal. It's a big animal. It's bigger than the largest dinosaur skeletons that we've ever found. Argentinosaurus. I wonder where they found that one, okay? Um, that's the biggest dinosaur we've ever found. This one is much, much bigger. Still alive on our planet. Out of all the animals... Out of all of the humans, out of all the creatures that we have seen, can I take you back to our text to be done? Can I take you back to Revelation chapter 4? Remember there are two songs in there? There are two songs, and I want you to see verse 11, the second song. After the 24 elders cast their crowns down at the throne of Jesus, this is the second song, verse 11. What does it say? Worthy are you our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things. You created all things. The first song that we sang was holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. The first song that these creatures are singing that represents all of creation is singing to the one on the throne, Jesus Christ, for who he is. They're singing about who he is. The 24 elders cast down their thrones and they began to sing this second song and it's all about what he has done 
in creation. Worthy are you, Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Those are the two songs that are being sung right now and will be sung forever in heaven about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done in creation. And so everywhere you look, it's a reason for you to join in those same songs. When we ended our time last night and some of you saw the lightning there and some of you saw the stars as you went to sleep. Some of you have walked around this place this day and you've seen animals or you've gotten bit by some of the animals or you've had a great conversation with one of your friends. God has designed and created all of that and he's at the very, very center. Okay? Here's the big idea. Tonight, your life has been designed with a throne in the middle of it. The only person that deserves to be on that throne is the one who designed it and it's the guy who's created all things it's Jesus who was and who is and who is to come. If you want and need your life to start making sense, then it's time to rip out whatever is on that throne in your life and put Jesus there, okay? Let me pray for you as Roger and the band comes back up and we're just gonna have some time to respond to the Lord, all right? Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for how beautiful you are, how creative you are. These images that we've seen are only just a sliver of what you have done. The infinite amount of space in all directions, all filled with beauty and glory. We are so small, and yet we are so significant here. All of your creative energy and effort is focused right here on us. This little blue speck in the middle of so much. You came to it. You were born as a baby and lived on it with us. You died for us and you're coming back to renew the whole place. Your whole heart is set on this little blue speck that we live on. Thank you, God, for loving us so much. We confess tonight, God, that you haven't been sitting on the throne of our life. That we've tried to put uh, popularity there, we've tried to put attention, we've tried to put looking good, we've tried to put having a girlfriend or a boyfriend, we've tried to put having lots of friends, we've tried to put making good grades, we're trying to put getting into a good college, trying to put whatever. We're trying to put partying, having fun, being my own person. We're trying to put freedom on the throne. We're trying to put everything on the throne to help our lives make sense. And we confess tonight that it isn't working. If we're honest with ourselves, God, and let us be honest with you tonight, it isn't working and we don't want to do it anymore. All these images that we've seen, how, would you help us direct, would you help them direct us to that central idea? We have to rip those things out 
of the throne of our life. They don't want to leave. They want to stay there. And it's going to be painful. And we want to put Jesus. We want to put you, God, the creator and designer of our life. We want to put you right in the middle. For some of you, that's going to take some confession. Some of you tonight need to be really, really honest with God. And maybe you need to take a good friend and be really, really honest with them. Starting with God, you say, God, you know everything. There is nothing in my life hidden from you. But you know also that I've been doing this. I've been thinking these things. I've been going there. I've been hanging out over here and, and it ain't working anymore. And I confess that to you. Scripture says when we confess our sins that God is more than willing to forgive us and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness and bury them in the deepest sea. He is more than willing to do that. Some of us need to change our life. The Bible calls that repentance. We need to change our mind and change our life. And some of us need to have a real honest conversation with God. And this is the time to do it. Some of you here, if you're honest with yourself, you know that you don't even have a relationship with God. You've never had one. Because once you have one, you can't lose it. And so you've never had a relationship with God. You've only been on the outside. You've only associated with Jesus. You've only liked Him. You've never really trusted Him. And tonight is the night for you. Say, I'm tired of pretending, Jesus. I'm tired of pretending. And you would say in your heart, even right now in this moment, Jesus, I believe you. I believe what you've done for me. I bet it all on you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins and give me life, abundant life, eternal right now. answer to that request is always yes by the way you don't have to get cleaned up you don't have to change your lifestyle for God to save you he works that out afterwards and he's interested in it but he works it out afterwards and so you don't need to get all cleaned up before you come to Jesus this is a defining moment for you not just this week at camp, but this night. This is an opportunity for you to do business with God. To be honest. To seek Him. To confess. To repent. To trust. And so I beg you to do that.